Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind-the-scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change-making progress, and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world. And now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Logistics with Purpose. I am Christy Porter of Vector Global Logistics, and I'm so excited because I have a new co-host for the first time, also a co-host outside of Vector, also a co-host that you may know her husband, the voice of supply chain now, Scott Luton, but... I wanted to get Amanda in on the action. So Amanda Luton, welcome to Logistics with Purpose today. I'm so excited to be co-hosting with you. I'm so excited too, Christy. I was really honored and excited to be given the opportunity to co-host today. So I'm super excited. Yes. Well, we are going to have a great conversation. Um, behind the scenes, we've been talking. There's a lot of interesting and exciting things going on. And I know part of not just the invitation, which I know was probably an honor to be nominated and to invite you onto the podcast, but when you heard who our guest was, you were also pretty excited to to join in. Absolutely. Uh, this is going to be a great episode. I'm really excited about it. Yes. So today we have with us Caroline Twa, Senior Vice President of Operations at L'Oreal Lux America. So Caroline, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very uh, honored to be here and uh, well done for getting my pronunciation, my name pronounced right. Thank you. You noticed the big very pause impressive. I took before I said it to make sure I got it right. Pulling out um, the very little French accents I know and have picked up from movies. Thank you. That's a great, a great compliment to me. So before we get into L'Oreal, a lot to talk about their global name, household brand, but first, we want to hear a little bit more about you. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up in your childhood. I think people are going to know from your accent, it was not the South of the United <laughs> States. So tell us where you came from. <laughs> yes, very uh, ashamed for my accent because I've not been like more than 15 years in an English-speaking country. So <laughs> no, you that. But yes, I did grow up in France in Normandy, in a town called uh, Rouen, to be uh, very uh, precise. And my parents built their house out of a cider barn in my grandparents' backyard. And we would go there every every weekend. And I think about it as we live like a really sustainable life, actually. We would go our own vegetables, our fruits. We would make our own cider which I got to drink a little bit when I was young. <laughs> and we would compost. We had this big hole in the in the forest, actually, where we would compost, which we didn't call compost. I didn't even know what compost was yeah. until a few years ago. Uh, but that was compost. We would not drink uh, in plastic bottle at all. Um, so it was a lot about nature and sustainability in, in a way, but we didn't talk sustainability. Um, it was very lonely for me too. I, I have to say there was no friend around. So I spent a lot of my time on these weekends reading books and uh, writing my journal and playing the piano, though I was not good at all at it. And my brother would be like, stop playing that same music. I can't stand <laughs> it anymore. <laughs> and, you know, that made me, um, that shaped me to be a, a little bit of an introvert. Uh -huh. And 
at the time, my dad was running my uh, grandfather's company. He was a roof material uh, trading company, so kind of logistics in a way. Yes. And it's a company founded after World War II when my hometown, like many towns in Normandy, were destroyed. Yeah. And it was very successful, but it was super hard too. And I, I remember that vividly. My dad would work incredibly hard. He would come back at night very late. I remember he would have calls at night with some lawyers sometime and they would talk about like sweet people. They were not paying him. And I was young. I would be in my bed, like praying for him. So he worked really hard. He works weekends. He didn't take vacation. And I think I got a lot of my work ethic from, from my dad. And, you know, I'm very grateful that I work for a company like L'Oreal with all those benefits. I really don't take any of that for granted. You know, that's a little bit of my child. The sustainability piece, I'm curious, was that like a conscious decision or something they just were like, this is what we have available. This is what we need to make use of. How did that come into play? Well, that's the thing that I find interesting that now we talk sustainability, but at the time they were just living sustainably right. without thinking about it. Yeah, it was not intentional at all. That was just how people would live in France, I think, in a more sustainable way, if you think about it. That's fascinating. Wow. I love getting to know our guests a little bit before we dive into the business side of the conversation. So Caroline, looking back, I know you kind of touched a bit on it, but maybe a little bit more details. Is there a story or an anecdote from your early years that really shaped who you are? It sounds like sustainability was a a major part of your upbringing, but something that inspired kind of what you do now that you could share with the audience? Yeah, so maybe something completely different than sustainability. Actually, my... um, Parents transferred me uh, when I was 13 years old uh, from an all-girls school that I was in to my brother, all-boys school. So I was 13 at the time, you know, not, not the easiest age to transfer to an all-boys school. <laughs> and uh, so I became like one out of seven girls in a school of more than 1,000 boys. Wow. And it was like being an alien. And just for the anecdote, I remember like the... Girls' restroom was on the complete other side of the school. I don't know what they had in mind when they did that. Oh, my God. And we would have, so we would go together, obviously, and we would have to cross the whole playground. And the boys would just, like, stop, literally stop playing soccer, stop doing anything to just, like, stare at us. And it was like being an animal in a zoo. Yeah, that would make an impact for sure. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, though, maybe not the... Best way to to learn, I, I think it was like a strong experience and it built a lot of resilience yeah. for me because the boys would also like on top of that annoy me and tease me as anybody would at such a year old. And, you know, at the time, um, now I realize it was probably to get my attention, but at the time I took that criticism very seriously. So I built a lot of resilience. I think a lot. I built a lot of grit uh, from that time. When I'm very, very uh, determined, when I have something in mind, I, I don't give up, I make it happen. And that's true for my personal life or my professional life. Uh, right now, I've decided I'm going to do a marathon this year, I'm going to try next year. And I didn't run like two years ago. So, uh, you know, like I, that's like my strengths, I think. But I have to say, when I talk to my team, I don't want clones around me. I think, you know, Everybody's got their own strengths that they need to find inside themselves and leverage as much as they can. You know, for me, it's been great, but for somebody else, it might be 
empathy, it might be creativity, and that's amazing too. You know, I need like that diversity uh, of skills uh, in my team. Wow, what an experience! So, how long were you at the? It, so, did it transition to be a fully girls and boys school, or were you still only one of a few the entire time you were there? Yeah, so I was there like four years. And when I left, you know, we were probably three in my classroom. So, you know, it took time for girls to come to that school. So, yeah, pretty much all my um, education was only with boys. And then in engineering school, obviously, it's continued. (laughs) That sounds like an incredible learning experience. Yeah, sounds like you could have gone in a couple of different directions. And it really instilled in you a lot of a lot of the traits that have helped you be successful over the years. So that's really exciting. But yeah, what a fascinating experience. I think you could probably write a book on just that. (laughs) 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 Can't imagine. Um, but you did allude to your professional journey, who you are, who you have kind of molded yourself to be over the last few years. So let's talk a little bit about your professional journey. First of all, you're an engineer. So again, you have all these multifacets in your background. Engineer graduated from the National School of Mines in Nancy. I'm going to say that probably wrong. Okay. Look at me. I'm on par with my French today. So tell us more about at that time, because I don't hear anything you said so far allude to engineering. So how does engineering come into the picture? Yes. Uh, like many people, I think pretty uh, randomly. So to be truthful, so um, every year at my old boy high school, the best students were selected to go to this great, one of the best engineering prep school in France called Jeanette. So that's what I did. And at the time, I had no idea what an engineer could do. Uh, but I knew I liked solving problems. I would, I loved math. I, I liked, I would go to bed. I couldn't find the solutions for my problem. I would sleep with my problem. I would wake up at, in the middle of the night or in the morning with the solution. And I like thinking. I think that's what engineers do. I still do it. I swim every day. And when I go in the pool, I'm in the pool with some ideas, some some problems, and it keeps me entertained for the hundred laps. <laughs> and then I come out with like some kind of uh, of solution. I you know I like this quote from uh, Einstein. It's not that I'm so smart. I just stay with problems longer. Yeah. Uh-huh. So anyway, so I get to this engineering prep school, and then I realized it was not going to be an easy journey at all. The level was very, uh, very high. But on top of that, they had this like hazing that luckily uh, became illegal uh, now. And yeah, so and, and uh, I saw the full week. So the hazers, I don't know if that makes sense, the hazers, they would be wearing like middle age costume. They would wake us up in the middle of the night. They would crack the chains. They would yell at us. We would go to, out of bed. We, it was a, a, board, uh, a boarding school. And then they would make us ramp, uh, crawl, like in uh, muddy trenches. It was that intense. Uh, now it's becoming illegal, actually. So, you know, after that first week, like, it was, you know, the purpose of the hazing is to humiliate you. And for sure, after that full week, I had uh, lost uh, completely my confidence. So this was like a, a tough uh, a tough time, really, for me. And I, I struggled. That's probably the only time I almost g- gave up. You know, I struggled with burnout. I struggled with anorexia. Uh, and that's when I, I decided I would start swimming every day. And you now that really resurrected me and put me back in the game. And since then, I really learned a great lesson from that. 
because since then I, I swim every day. It's like a religion which keeps me out of stress, helps mm-hmm. me stay balanced and centered, which is so super important. In operation, we get through so many things that that uh, balance is really, really quite critical. So after that, my engineering studies were really great. They opened so many doors for me. I got to do my internships in Italy and in Japan. And engineering. So Italy was like oil type company. And then in Japan, I worked for Toshiba. Yeah, that was really interesting culturally. Okay. So you also have had the distinct ability to live within all of these different cultures. So what were some of the takeaways from that? What did you learn from that? I mean, first, I I find it fascinating to work in a different country. I always say that it's like being on on vacation all the time because, you know, it's like when you're on vacation, you're like, oh, this and this and this. And, you know, to be able to do it while you work, I just think makes like so much more interesting. Uh, And Japan on top of it, I don't think there's one country that's more different than the Western world, you know, the way way they work, the way, you know, it's like, completely different, their discipline, the cleanliness everywhere in the train. It's just an amazing experience. Though a tough one, it's not also a country that is very uh, easy to live in, especially with zero revenue and intern. I remember eating uh, rice and egg and soya every night. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That is in itself a learning experience for sure. So how long were you in the engineering field? Uh, so then I, so that was just my internship. So um, then when I started to look for a job, I had to choose between two great opportunities. One was working for Shell in Italy and the other one was L'Oreal. I really decided on L'Oreal because of the values of the company. I remember at the time the plant manager who was like super brilliant, took me around the plants and he talked to me like if I was his daughter. And it was so super general. I could feel the people first mindset from day one in L'Oreal. And that really sold me to it. So I started my uh, career in L'Oreal. And I'm uh, proudly a L'Oreal baby, as they call it. Yes. (laughs) So you kind of alluded to the experience in the plant uh, with your plant managers. And then in the early 2000s, you started your journey as supply chain manager in Maybelline factory, right? Could you tell us about your first kind of exposure, your first impressions in lo- the logistics industry? Yes. So straight away, I loved, loved, loved my job. I love supply chain at L'Oreal. The plant I was working for, it was like the European Maybelline plant. It was really a well-oiled machine. It were like really under control. And it was fascinating to like be at the, at the center, you know, like the one supply chain, be connected with everybody, the, um, the affiliates, the business, the plans, like all the different departments. And it was fascinating also to see the life of the product from ideation to discontinuation. So I really, I really love that. I love that I could have an impact straight away. I could feel I could have an impact on service, on cost, on inventory. I could even have an impact beyond my direct scope of responsibility. As an example, I, it didn't make sense to me that they had like so many, like so many seasonal. As a consumer, I couldn't make the difference between two products, you know, and I was just a young engineer. I'm like, why do you have like those two products? Just the same. So I built a whole uh, report and analysis and I shared with my management and, and I loved it. And, you know, I was able to influence our business to rationalize the catalog 
And after a few years, we reduced the catalog from 10,000 SKUs to 2,000 SKU, which was uh, wow. Really wow. very satisfying for me to be able to have that impact on the organization. The other thing that I really liked is people management because I was quickly given the opportunity to lead people. So when I was 25, I had a team of 20 people. When I was 27, I had a team of 40 people. And when I was 29, I think I was running the whole production unit with 100 people. And I don't think all field or companies allow for that. Yeah. And, um, and certainly, you know, like, the science of people is not as easy, I would say, as the science of uh, supply chain. So I made a lot of mistakes, uh, but I learned uh, big time. It was such an incredible opportunity for me uh, to learn, you know, and uh, I quickly learned my development area. I was very resilient, quite tough, of course, like with these uh, engineering studies, but I liked empathy. I liked sensitivity. I had to build on this uh, emotional intelligence and I'm still working on it. That's fascinating. Well, as a consumer, let me thank you for reducing 10,000 SKUs to 2,000 SKUs because I probably would be overwhelmed in the store otherwise as well. Paralysis, yeah, walking down. I know. If somebody inside the company can't tell the difference between the different products, then those outside are going to have a really difficult time. So thank you for your (laughs) paper. Well, I mean, everybody has heard of L'Oreal. It is the world's largest customer cosmetics company, 36 global brands, four divisions, over 100 years of history. Few people make it that far, a few companies. So congratulations on that. So I, I love some of the, of course, especially here in the US and I imagine in other places around the world, we're familiar with the commercials, but I love some of the things that you've touched on that drew you to the company that Maybe we don't see commercials about just the people first culture and what drew you in. So I'd love for you to talk a little more maybe about some of the L'Oreal that we don't see that happens behind the scenes that makes it a wonderful place for you, clearly, because you've stayed there for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first, like it's a big company. People don't realize because sometimes people think Ah. about the brand of L'Oreal, but it's actually a $40 billion SaaS companies. I would like to say like a large portfolio of brands. I will not be able to quote them all. <laughs> and and they are in four different divisions that operate in different uh, distribution channels. We very we have a worldwide presence and like emerging markets are very important to us. And it's great because we can balance the ebbs and flows of the market. And that's really a power of, of L'Oreal. Our purpose, otherwise, is to create the beauty that moves the world. Mm-hmm. And that says it all. And it's a company that really puts a lot of emphasis on people, on ethics, on sustainability. And I can tell you, in the 24 years I've been in this company, uh, you can really see it like everywhere, everywhere you go. Yeah, so that's a little bit about that. And so tell us a little bit more about, so right now you're in the Lux division. Tell us a little bit about what that means and your specific role there. Yes. So so basically, um, I'm in charge of the operations uh, for North America uh, Luxury Division, uh, which means I run the operations end-to-end for $3 billion sales business. Luxury Division includes like all those amazing brands. Lancôme, Armani, Saint Laurent, Kiehl's, these are like the, our big brands. And then lots of other brands like Urban Decay, It Cosmetics, some small acquisition, You See the People, all the fragrances, the Valentinos, the Ralph Lauren. Um, and we just acquired uh, ASAP 
as well, which is going to be really exciting for the division. Uh, so my scope in operation is like literally all the functions of operations from manufacturing, sourcing, procurement, all the functions of supply chain, the development team, new product development, uh, the packaging, all these functions of operation. And, and of course, my primary job uh, with that uh, large of a scope is to inspire and engage uh, the 800 people also that report into my team, which means on a day-to-day basis, keeping things stable and encouraging people to, to give their best. Um, that's you do a couple of things then. <laughs> Just a few. A few. Not a part-time job, yeah. <laughs> I like to say, you know, like one third of my job is people. Yeah. Uh, one third is execution because you have to be grounded. You have to like fly high, fly low. I want to stay, you know, in touch with what's going on day-to-day basis. So one third execution and one third innovation and transformation. Hmm. I got to write that down. I love that. <laughs> One third people, one third execution, one third innovation. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, so in your years with L'Oreal, it sounds like you've managed hundreds, if not thousands of people. We'd love to hear some of the accomplishments of your company or of your teams that you're most proud of. Yeah. First, I'm going to give a lot of credit to our operation and supply chain team in general at L'Oreal. L'Oreal is a very creative company. And our executive team, as they should, they are hyper-focused on innovation, brand, products, marketing, and then really rely a lot on operational and the business, which is great. And I really think about our teams as the one that keep things structured and organized and make the magic happen and land the plane, you know, don't like keep thinking and having so many ideas, just land the plane sometimes. So, uh, so that's, that's really uh, one thing I would say. And then I also think it was really uh, impressive, of course, during COVID with all the disruptions we had down, down again, like to, for, to see how they could uh, manage, uh, you know, all the challenges. Sometimes we had issues with like tier, like T3 supplier issues where it was like we were missing the glue on the roll of labels of the stickers oh my god like how do we think about that <laughs> you know so our life is is uh, full of challenges and while they do that we were still like doing the transformation you know all the those programs those projects that we have continued to uh, to run um so that's i give them a lot of credit other than that we have tons of metrics and kpis i don't think you want to hear about that that'd be like super <laughs> So I'm going to save you that for a minute. No, I think what's really get things done is culture, ultimately. And my team and I, we've been very focused on driving culture, culture of sustainability, culture of agility, culture of people, with, though it's really embedded already in our culture, digitalization. So and that's about like first hiring the right people. And that's like number one job, getting the right people in the bus. And we're in a competitive market in the US. And so I always say it's like a dating game to uh, get the right people. And then when you got them, you got to treat them like your family. You got to take care of them. You got to respect them, to support them and, and to challenge them too. You know, got to push our people that they can achieve things that they would never they would never even think they could achieve. You know, that's also part of the philosophy. It's about creating the, giving them the context, giving them the frame, keeping things simple, prioritizing. So that's uh, that's really what I, what we've been focused on. 
I love that. I want to touch on something you said because uh, you, no matter if you're a 10 person business or a, you know, global business like L'Oreal, you touched on hiring. And that is such a struggle for so many people, especially right now. And I feel like every time we ask this question, we say, especially right now, because it never seems to get any (laughs) easier or better. But I loved what you said about hiring the right people and then nurturing them as family when they come in. So talk to me a little bit about your hiring. What does that look like to you? How does that happen? What are kind of maybe either some of the indicators that you look for and hire for or the process that you use? But I'd be so curious about that because it's something so many businesses struggle with. Yeah. um, I mean, first I put a lot of emphasis on succession planning in general, because it's hiring, but it's also hiring internally, of course, in a a company like L'Oreal. So um, we have a whole structure of succession planning and I always give as a KPI the number of hours we spent on succession planning. So we did it, we do it like together, we do it by function, we do it in so many ways, uh, just to make sure we anticipate the needs and we think about the option and that gives us some time to get the right options. And then, uh, and then in terms of hiring, I think it's also about the network you create uh, around you and leveraging that network and leveraging other people's network and just not compromising too. It's like, what are those best sources that we know they're the best because we've somehow been connected with them in the past. Maybe they're ex-Maria, maybe somebody's worked with them. That's why it's, it's again, about like how much time and effort you put into it just to get people. And then like treating them right. I mean, I always quote that experience of mine with my plant manager. Honestly, if it wasn't for him taking me around the plant, the plants and talking to me like his daughter, I would not be in L'Oreal today. I loved Italy. Like I would be in Italy. <laughs> Fascinating. Thank you for that. Yeah. I, that is really, I love the KPI for succession planning. I have never heard really. I've never heard that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Okay. And then I also wanted to ask you about, you mentioned before just leadership, another, I feel like something people struggle with all the time. I'm curious that what you've learned, you said you've made some mistakes, we all have, and you've learned a lot along the way. So tell us about some of your lessons learned as a leader. Yeah, I mean, you learn from your mistakes, definitely. I remember that mistake of like early management that I was so uh, direct and was a senior employee and I actually offended her mm-hmm. and I could see she was offended and that really stayed with me and stuck with me. And, you know, I still, I still haven't completely repaired it. I wrote her a letter, whatever. It really like impacted me. And I've learned from that, that example that, you know, whatever, whatever the situation, whatever the challenge, you can always do it in the right way and in a nice way. And you don't have to have people. Mm, For sure. That can be really difficult too. (laughs) I know in leadership positions, it can be, it can be challenging to speak to people, to get through to people without personally offending people. But you, I do think that there's a fine line that you can walk. There's a good balance you can find there. Yeah. So also tell us, you've mentioned COVID. Clearly, that's an underlying issue for everybody. So tell us about, as you mentioned, never would have thought of running out of the adhesive for the label that goes on a product that is not top of mind for me. So I'm curious about some of the other challenges that you've had during COVID, maybe not that technical, but 
how your team kind of rallied around that, what the problem solving looked like. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was about being very focused because there were definitely like different phases. Yeah. You know, first we had to somehow keep the distribution centers and the manufacturing sites open. And that was a priority. And just that in itself took a lot of energy. And that's where we focused. Then, I mean, there were like so many different phases, but if I like fast track a little bit, then we suddenly, you know, ran out of like those components and raw material because of the, you know, Asia, all those footprints we had. So we had to pull our best resources to, you know, help find creative solutions to uh, solve those challenges and then try to anticipate as soon as we saw the signals, right? You could see the signal that the transportation need times were going to increase. Okay, well, then let's take actions to try to have least disruptions because of that. So that was then like this phase of like super focused on service. And then we had like a shift in business, like a volatility that's unbelievable. We had suddenly like this boom in the fragrance category. I don't think anybody could have yeah. expected. It's not <laughs> people at home. I guess they, I mean, they were like showering. So I still don't quite understand. Of course, there's been ton of reports and then I'm still like, really? <laughs> like wearing less makeup, but I wearing know. more, more perfume. perfume. No Surprising. Perfume. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was really, it's been really big, like in, in the US. So we had to respond to that. I mean, the volatility has been unbelievable. So uh, our agility and good thing we were working on that like many years before. Otherwise, we would have been completely stuck. But we always, I mean, agility is really the name of the game for us. We need to make yeah. sure we have always spare capacity. We need to make sure we always focus on our lead times and try to reduce them as much as we possibly can. Good luck. That's fine. Wow. Well, Christy, I know just from the conversation so far, like what an impressive career, what an impressive woman, Caroline. I'm really, this has been a, a great conversation so far, but kind of to change directions with over 15 years at L'Oreal, how do you feel like the supply chain has evolved specifically in the cosmetics industry, just in your time with L'Oreal? Yeah, I think it's evolved massively. I think supply chains become more and more central in the company with, you know, the growth of e-commerce, with sustainability, with the disruption from COVID, we've earned a bigger seat at the table and we've organized ourselves in a way that we are hyper-connected with the business and we really solve our challenges together. It's almost like this symbiotic relationship, the way I would describe it. And together we can set the future and the strategy together. It's really um, so, uh, so critical and so much at the center of anything in Maria. The other thing I would say is we live in a, a very data-driven world, which, you know, year after year, then I've been in supply chain in Maria, I could see more, more, you know, and supply chains brought a lot to the business in terms of leveraging that data. And now I also think with the amount of data we have in supply chain, this new chapter of AI is like so super exciting. I think uh, we, we're going to be able to, you know, add more value to the business and reduce some of the low added uh, tasks. So I'm really uh, excited for that. And also think to that extent, the skills of our teams in supply chain are becoming more and more marketable. I think uh, I can see how other functions could benefit from it. And I can see more transfers happening from supply chain to 
um, the rest of the business. And equally, I can see more uh, people being attracted by supply chain. I think it's becoming a, a really a more exciting and attractive function. It's so like transversal. It's got so much complexity. You can have an impact. I don't think there's been a, a time where supply chain, having a current supply chain is more exciting and like sexy in a way. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think too, before COVID, people didn't understand what supply chain was. Just like Christy said a minute ago, who, who would have ever thought that running out of an adhesive was going to slow down the right. getting the cosmetics to the Kroger shelf or whatever. But once people start realizing all the different ways you can work and the different jobs and different skill sets that you can that you can utilize within supply chain, it's really exciting and it's very interesting, so much more interesting than if you just think of manufacturing, distribution, transportation. I think that's probably where a lot of people's right. minds go right away. But when you start thinking about marketing and product design and the logistics behind everything, and like you said, Caroline, the really data-driven aspects of supply chain, there's almost room for any and everybody, you know, in all different types of backgrounds and education and skill sets. Yeah. And the complexity, I think, you know, it would like excite and interest any yeah. good brain. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Creative brains, really analytical brains, really Lots of different types of people, I think, are, are very well suited for supply chain. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And also, I can also just hear you, like your leadership and you're thinking out for your, you know, you're looking out for your team and seeing how their skills are going to grow. And it speaks to that succession planning as well. So that says a lot about you. Well, um, I wrote this book about how there's not so many CEOs that come from supply chain. Mm. But now we can see a, a trend, and I think it's really uh, super interesting. I can I can see it happening. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. That's an excellent point. So L'Oreal, well known for the slogan "Because you're worth it." So we talked about supply chain. We talked a little bit about the value chain before, but I'm curious for you. What is the value that you think logistics plays in the end to consumer satisfaction? We, you know, we talked a little about in some instances, it feels like the world is shrinking. In some ways, it's getting more complicated. And even just to kind of what you were just mentioning, as well as the motto for the company about bringing beauty into the world and things. So I'm curious for you and what you've seen. How do you think logistics plays in, a, a part in that end customer satisfaction? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, logistics is all about uh, consumer satisfaction because if you think about it, it's about delivering the right product with the right quality and the right cost, the right service, and all of that is supply chain. Now, I think also now the dimensions of the experience also counting more, and that's about how easy it is to find a product. Mm -hmm. How it's been delivered to your home, how sustainably it's been made. So all those things, it's on supply chain. We do so much, yeah. <laughs> actually. Everything is supply chain. Yeah. Everything is supply chain. And so, um, and we, so, you know, then we have to make sure in operation, we stay connected to that consumer value, of course. So, I mean, some ways to do it is obviously we use the ratings of the products. We need, we develop new products. So it's super important for the development team, the packaging team. They constantly look at the, the ratings to improve at each renovation value. We use NPS scores on our e-commerce to understand the customer satisfaction. I really love there's a new measurement that we've introduced. It's called PIL. 
and it's product in ingredient labeling. And you can find it on Kiel's website and it tells you how sustainably the product is, including like all the dimensions, how it's been made, how it's been transported, like all of that. And so you, you scan your product with the data metrics and you go on the website and you will see uh, that measurement. I think that's super interesting and it will even probably educate the customers and help them make the right uh, decisions. And then, you know, in terms of like our frame, because we do like those frames to help us like focus our energy. It's really about how we maximize that consumer value when we decide our priorities and uh, the way we work. We don't like jeopardize one for the other. And I think that's super important. I think we first, there's like enough project we can do that we can really prioritize the one that deliver on all dimensions. And we will try to prioritize those projects that, you know, will move the needle on everything, the sustainability, the cost, the agility, uh, all of that together. Yeah, I 100% agree. Going back to sustainability, again, seems to be a major theme for this yes. <laughs> conversation. And for your um, life, yeah. Said, right. It's becoming more and more important to the consumers. And L'Oreal is known for having uh, extensive sustainability commitments. So, Caroline, please tell us more about them and how you've uh, achieved an A score in all three CDP rankings, receiving this distinction seven years in a row. We would love to know a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, L'Oreal embarked in that sustainability journey first, like, a long time ago. It's like over 10 years ago. It was first, but now we've accelerated that journey with the launch of our program for the future. And it's like a very precise roadmap to 2030 to achieve a reduction of our greenhouse gas emission per finished good unit. And, and also it includes like the transportation element where we will also reduce by 50% our CO2 emission. It's a program that was uh, developed with scientific experts. It's really based on a permanent boundary approach. It's not based on like commercial goal. It's really very profoundly in the science. And I think, you know, the way the companies really moved the needle on sustainability and created really a culture of sustainability because you can feel it in the company. Everybody's like passionate and everybody's like contributing to some extent, to the topic. So it's it's really the, the culture that they've created. And when I think about it, there's a few uh, powerful things that I think the company's done. One is like defining some super precise and public goals. So for example, packaging was like one area that uh, see I'm accountable for. We have some really ambitious goal of redu- making sure, like first making sure that uh, 100% of our plastic will be from recycled or biosource based by 2030. And also making sure that all our plastic will be either recyclable, compostable, refillable, or reusable by 2030. These are very uh, difficult uh, goals to achieve. And those goals, it's part of our um, end review, it's part of our incentive program. Every thing that we have, we talk sustainability, we have specific sections. Uh, the other thing that I, I find interesting is we really empowered all our team to uh, contribute by educating them. And we all had to take uh, very intense e-learnings, like hours and hours, and take tests at the end, which, you know, wow. like even for an engineer, it was not easy. Those tests were not easy and everybody had to do it. But I think that was super powerful to for everyone to learn about the, the topic. We also have sustainability leads 
in every function, region, division. And that's important because no matter what, the topic is complex. So uh, having those experts around to help develop this roadmap, these roadmaps is, is really, um, really helpful. And then lastly, I would say is you can do it on your own. We can do it on our own. And the partnership with our ecosystem, our suppliers, our retailers is very important too. So we do what we call spread the green vibes event. Uh, with those partners to IDA, to develop roadmaps together. And that's super important to all our RFQs with vendors always include a sustainability dimension. And that's always something we look at same level as like the cost, literally. Mm. There's also, there's many other corporate responsibility initiatives that L'Oreal has undertaken such as with the Ukraine war, diversity, which you spoke to a little bit earlier, empowering women scientists, youth programs, and more. So tell us about a couple of your favorites. Yeah, I mean, I'd say at least I don't know them all because every brand has one and it's, it's great because they are always connected to the brand culture. But also, like, it's relevant for operation. Uh, so all our sites, they have some kind of corporate uh, social responsibility program. Uh, so I, I can give you those examples. For example, in my um, distribution center, in our distribution center in South Brunswick, we have a program where uh, adults with autism work in the assembly department. Wow. And then a manufacturing site in Piscataway, we have a program to educate our operatives to become mechanics if they are willing to. And of course, that's all free resources for them. So these are great programs. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm going to quote one that I think you guys will like is It Cosmetics. They have this program about women confidence at work. And it really resonates with me because obviously with my team, I, I do a lot of coaching and it's something that I've noticed that women don't don't have, some women don't have as much confidence. And they would tell me, oh, no, I'm not ready for the next step. I can do it. And like very talented women, obviously. And I don't have the skills. It's going to be too much work. And I think it uh, slows them down versus some of their male peers. And actually, they've proven that 57% of women think they would have advanced their career more if they had more confidence. So I think that's a super interesting initiative. And this program provides free resources to help solve that women at work confidence crisis. Wow, that's really interesting. And a crazy statistic. <laughs> it is. I, I think it's fantastic because I think sometimes... Wow. That's all women need is a little, I mean, more than a pat on the back, but somebody to say, you're smart, you're capable, you can do this. Let's do this together. Or here's how we can help or some sort of assistance or guidance. It's absolutely vital, I think. Mm-hmm. And it makes, it's interesting to see uh, and exciting to see the investment in a soft skill like that as well. Like clearly training and job training and hard skills and things like that makes so much sense especially for advancement and things. But uh, it's also another one that I don't hear many people talking about is just investing in soft skills like that, like confidence. So big kudos to L'Oreal for that. That's a terrific initiative. Before we let you go, I have a couple final questions. And of course, I cannot let you escape without 
asking, what are a couple of your favorite products? <laughs> because <laughs> I'm going to head out to the store <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> okay. Really? All right. So my favorite product, here we go. I love the Urban Decay eyeshadows. It's called the Metallic Glitters. I love my glitters. It's like, I don't know if you could see them, but anyway. That's metallic cool. Glitters from uh, Urban Decay. They're super fun and not everybody wear them. So I get a lot of compliments with them. So my <laughs> friends love them. And I love Kiehl's. I love many products from Kiehl's. Yeah. Uh, but I use the Clearly Corrective Dark Spot every day. Okay. Like that one. Okay. <laughs> I have to share, I have a L'Oreal connection because when I was in college, I worked for all four years in college. I worked full-time and went to school full-time, but I worked at the Lancome counter at our Von Moore store nice. <laughs> in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, so shout out to Von Mar and Lincoln. Uh, but I loved working at the makeup counter in the store. Lancome was really exciting. I have a total love for skincare and makeup. I always did, but working there especially. But it was so much fun. And I love still visiting makeup counters. <laughs> but it was really exciting. And I didn't even make the connection that Lancome was owned by L'Oreal. I mean, I had, I knew it from way back, but didn't make the connection again until you had said that earlier. So how about that? Yeah. <laughs> and possibly the only time the lawn comb counter at Von Mar in Lincoln, Nebraska will ever get a shout out. So that's very true. Yeah, that's the first. That's the first. <laughs> that is amazing. I'm going to Nebraska soon, by the way. Oh, I'm going to have to stop by. I'm in Nebraska in two weeks. Yeah. Awesome. Ask them if they know Amanda. <laughs> right. Yeah. How could they forget me? <laughs> 20 years ago. <laughs> and then my my final question of, of, for you is one we ask a lot of people here, um, and we've certainly touched on aspects of this as well, but what does the phrase logistics with purpose mean to you? Yeah, it's uh, such a nice one. I don't know who I coined it, but yeah, I mean, like our purpose in Orient is to create the beauty that moves the world. Yeah. And I think it really applies to logistics in many ways. Our purpose is to create the best products, best quality, best service, best cost, etc. That will boost uh, confidence. Again, talk about confidence for men and women uh, around the world. And when I think about it, it kind of sounds a little futile, futile for the Western world where we have like excess amount of beauty products around us, but it's not everywhere in the world. And I think one of the purpose of L'Oreal is certainly to uh, democratize beauty and touch every consumer, every single consumer, mm -hmm. every woman in the world that can benefit. But I also think about it as our needs and making a difference for our employees and their families, making them part of the story, making them valued, making them recognized and on that sustainability note again is how we act to protect the planet to fight the climate change and preserve na nature and the beauty diversity the biodiversity around us mm, i love that thank you so mm. much so as we wrap today, Caroline, how can our listeners connect with you and, of course, learn more about everything, all the exciting initiatives that you're doing at L'Oreal? It's a great way. Um, so you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm not sure. I'll read an Australia message. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
And so what is one thing our, everyone should go look up on your website that, how did they get to the carbon thing? Like how to tell their, where the, the supply chain and their sustainability in their supply chain for the product? Oh, it's very visible. If you go on the L'Oreal website, you'll go straight, straight into that easily right. for the future okay. when they have lots of you know, data to share. It's very amazing. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. This was so fun. So great. You have such a breadth of experience to share with us. And just even I just love hearing you talk about your team and getting excited about that. And um, as well as your, you know, previous boss and your background, just so much. And I think you bring a really interesting aspect of supply chain as well and how to look at that from all aspects. And even just as you said, it's tying the world together and exciting to see kind of the future of that. So thank you for all that you're innovating and executing and whatever that other third is, I forgot already, but it's amazing. <laughs> innovating, executing, and people. People, yes. people. <laughs> people. I love that. I'm going to take that with me. Thank you so much for your time. This was so much fun. Amanda, I hope this isn't, this is the first, hopefully not the last time oh, that we get to do this together. But Caroline, yeah. it was a blast. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you and all you're doing. Thank you, Christy. Thank you, Amanda. It was a pleasure to be with you. It was, uh, it was fun. It was fun. I like doing that. That's my first podcast. You did great. <laughs>